0: Okay, as Pastor Kim said, I just got back in town. I think, uh, you know, I'll confess, I felt guilty taking vacation. And my wife's like, you've got the vacation time. I'm like, I know, I know, but like in my role, it's this weird thing. And I'm totally confessional here. I went to visit family in Texas. I went fly fishing in Alaska. I got invited to do that. It was absolutely amazing. And uh, I've been gone, and it feels weird, and it's good to be back and yet it's so amazing to know that when I step away, we've got such great leadership in place to bring God's Word into the pulpit, to lead powerfully throughout the week. How many of you were here last week when we kicked off the sermon series and Rebecca Breshe Morgan? It was amazing. It was so amazing. So she kicked off a series, a leadership series that we're in right now uh, on Deborah the week before that. How many of you were here on campus when we finally got through into the promised land. We finished our exodus. How many of you were here when Greg Bennett preached? Was it amazing to get through that 24-week series and we arrived in the promised land? If any of you missed any of those sermons, know that you can go anywhere online where you can listen to or watch podcasts and search for Beller Church. You can go to our website, catch those after the fact, or like many of you who are doing right now, you're watching the service live. Whether you're traveling, whether you're homesick or you're recovering, I want to welcome you here today. But a reminder that we're now in the second week of a leadership series and our intent is that you would grow and you would be transformed as leaders. Now some of you come into this moment and you're like, okay, I'm excited I'm a leader. In the workplace, I'm a leader on my board. Uh, Maybe some of you, you come into this moment and and you know that people have said to you, you are a leader ever since you were a kid. And so you're excited, you're leaning into this, but perhaps some of you are coming to this moment thinking, ah, this isn't for me, I'm not a leader. Well, my prayer, my hope is that the Holy Spirit would remind you that in actual fact you were called to be a leader, every single one of you. The Proverbs say, first and foremost, we are called to lead ourselves. And we live in a world where most people don't even know how to lead themselves. We don't know how to lead our emotions, and so our emotions lead us. We don't know how to lead our thoughts, and our anxious thoughts, our fearful thoughts, lead us. We don't know how to lead our tongue, and so. What comes out is curses rather than blessings. And Scripture, first and foremost, says that God has given you a body and a mind and a heart. You have been created in the image of God, and God has given you agency to first lead yourself, to lead yourself in how you respond to situations that you have no control over. But even beyond that, many of you, you have an opportunity to lead your family. Whether that's your parents, or your siblings, or your spouse, or your kids, or your nieces, or nephews, or cousins, or grandkids, you've got an opportunity to lead your family. You've got an opportunity to lead your friends, your coworkers. Even if it's the smallest moment in the grocery store, in an interaction with the person at the checkout can, or you have an opportunity to lead in that moment. You see, you can either be, I know it's cheesy, it's been said before, you can either be a thermometer or a thermostat. You've heard this before, probably, right? A thermometer is one that adapts to its environment. And maybe some of you, you you adapt really well to the environment. Uh, It's an anxious environment, and you become anxious, uh, it's, it's a bitter, angry environment. And all of a sudden, you become bitter and angry. It, it's an apathetic environment, and you all of a sudden become apathetic yourself. Many of us, we enter moments, and we are more like thermometers because we just adjust to the climate. But God has called every single one of us to be, you've heard of before, that thermostat-type person, that you would help transform your environment. As Jesus often says, when you see this, here's what I want you to do. I love St. Francis, his prayer. uh, Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith, let me be an instrument, God of your peace. And so God has called every single one of us, even if you don't feel like it, to lead. And so the intent of this four-week sermon series is to understand not only that God has called you for such a time as this to lead for God's glory, but as we look at each of these four characters, that you would learn from them the power that you can have in your own life to transform those around you. We're going to look at the life of Paul right now. And what we're not going to do is we're not going to do a biography of his entire life. If you're looking for a great resource on you know, the biography, the whole life of Paul. Great book came out recently by N.T. Wright. It's called Paul, a Biography. (laughs) Just straight down the middle. It's fantastic. We're also going to launch into a sermon series in the fall on the book of Acts. So in the same way we took 24 weeks to go through the journey of the Exodus story, we might take at least 24 weeks, perhaps more, to follow the journey of the Holy Spirit through the early church starting this fall. So we're going to get a little bit deeper into the life of Paul and also the theology of Paul. But today, I'm trying to condense the life of a person into just three pillars. Again, so that you would begin to see how this is is for you. This isn't just study of a great man that we can just kind of idolize. This is an opportunity to see how he lived and loved and then actually... What he says is you can experience the same sort of life as well. We're going to start with just one verse. It's one of his letters to the church in Galatia. It's called Galatians in Scripture. If you could open up your Bibles, whether that's a phone, whether that's a physical copy, if you don't have one, there's a red book in front of you in the pews. It's our gift to you. If you don't own one, we'd love for you to take it home with you. It's on page 946 in your pew Bible if you're online. I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version. And what I'd love for us to do is I'd love for us now that we've sat down to stand up, and I would love for all of us to read together. And if you're online, if you're on a plane, maybe you want to stand up, (laughs) or you're at home. Some of you are standing right now on the sideline of your kid's sporting event. I get texts from people that are like, I'm at my kid's football game, I'm watching online. You're already standing, you're good. But let's just, this is one verse, and this is just our launching point into just three pillars of Paul's leadership that are available for us today. Let me get out of Sirach and get into Galatians 2.20. And let's begin in verse 20. And it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This, my friends, is the reading of God's word. Thanks, Thanks, God. uh, amen. As you grab a seat, we look at Paul's life, and everything can be summed up in that one truth. He says, I'm a leader, not because I'm a great leader. It's because I'm a great follower. The greatness of Paul's leadership was because he was a great follower first and foremost. He says, follow me as I follow Jesus. This is not a what would Jesus do kind of sermon. Paul did not say, I'm going to live and love like Jesus. He says, no, it's Christ that lives in and through me. In fact, he wrote to the church in Rome, book of Romans. He says this. He says, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. He says, everything in my leadership I owe to Jesus Christ. He doesn't list a bunch of principles to apply to your life. He says there is a living one who's a person, and his name is Jesus. And it's he that lives in me. It's he that transforms me. When we get into the fall we go through the book of Acts, when you read Paul, a biography, you're going to see that it's Jesus who absolutely transforms him from being a person who approves of the killing of Christians to one day writing 13 letters that included in Scripture, perhaps being the most powerful leader of the early church. If Jesus ushered into a new way of life and a new creation in the kingdom of God, it was Paul who turned it into a movement. But he would say, it's, no, it's Christ in and through me, the hope of glory. So the three things that I want us to kind of unpack, uncover, some of you, you take notes on on paper, some of you on your phone, some of you just have this amazing memory. The three things that I wanna explore with us today are first and foremost this. It's trust that leads to courage. Second, awe that leads to humility. And then finally, love that leads to endurance. So these three points that are actually six uncovered, you know, I've crammed it into three. The first is this, trust that leads to courage. Awe that leads to humility and love that leads to endurance. When I look at the Apostle Paul, I am overwhelmed with his courage, his humility, and his endurance. And yet he would say, It's not because I made myself courageous, it's not because I made myself humble, it's not because I made myself a person who has great endurance. He cultivated a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the focus of his trust shifted to Jesus. And the focus of his awe shifted to Jesus. And the focus of his love shifted to Jesus. And therefore, when he had now the bullseye of his trust on God in the flesh, it cultivated a massive amount of courage in his life. You see, some of us, we lack courage in certain situations because we trust ourselves, we trust our own abilities, we trust our track record, and that's fine, and some of us have great courage in situations that we're comfortable in. And some of us come across massively courageous, but in actual fact, it's because we've gone through those situations before. And we have a knack for those things. We, we have a personality that works in those situations. And some of us are under the illusion that we're tremendously courageous people when in actual fact the trust is in ourself, in our own abilities, in our own track record. But then a day or a situation will come along that you've never had experience in. You will get diagnosed with something for the first time that you can't pronounce. You will lose a loved one. You will lose your first job. Your finances will crash. You'll be accused of something you never have before. Will you be courageous in those moments? Because God is calling every single one of us to be people of courage. And the only way we can be the type of people who are so courageous that we have the ability to be true to who God has created us to be in every single circumstance, to not be chameleons that change in every other situation, to persevere, to press in, to show up, not alone to finish, to always speak the truth, even when it's unpopular. The only way we can do that is if we look at Paul's life and see how he focused all of his trust on the one who is trustworthy, Jesus Christ. In fact, I, I manuscripted a sermon for the first time in five years because I want Paul to speak for himself. I, I can't memorize these 20 verses. Uh, I want you to hear some of these things that he says. Listen to this. Romans 1.16, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God to bring salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. He says, I am putting my trust into the life of God revealed in Jesus Christ. Now, some of you, you heard an illustration perhaps a number of years ago. I think it was like Easter 2015. I shared the story of a tightrope walker, the great Blondine. You might know this or you might remember this, but basically there was this famous dude uh, almost a century ago who would literally, he would string tightropes across massive places and he was most famously known as stringing a tightrope across Niagara Falls and the news got out, and thousands of people came out and watched him do all these things, you know, juggle. He would do, you know, backflips, cartwheels. And one day for his grand finale, uh, he brings out a wheelbarrow, and he takes a wheelbarrow, and he, and he literally goes across without a rope, without a net, and then he comes all the way back, makes it across and back and forth, and Niagara Falls. And everyone's losing their minds, right? And then he says, how many of you believe that I could take a person across in the wheelbarrow. And everyone's like, I believe. You know, they're going crazy, right? Everybody believed because of his skills, right? They trusted his skills. And then he asked the second question. Some of you know this story. He says, all right, who's the first person to get in the wheelbarrow? (laughs) Silence. (laughs) Except for the Niagara Falls, just rushing down, right? In that moment, it revealed that they believed, but they didn't trust. You see, belief can happen from afar. Trust is personal when you choose to get in. And the Apostle Paul is saying, look, I'm going to put my life in God's hands. I'm going to put my life into following God. This way of life that, that Jesus reveals for me to live, even when it doesn't make sense, even when it seems irrational, even when it seems countercultural, I'm going to forgive my enemies when all I want to do is kill them. I'm going to seek reconciliation when I want to do is I, I, I want to tarnish the person's image. I'm going to live for other people rather than wanting to use them for my purposes? And as Paul cultivated this relationship with Jesus Christ, and he began to experience how trustworthy God was, that God alone can bear the weight of our soul That God alone can give us perfect peace, perfect joy, perfect significance. In a sense, Paul puts everything into that basket, and he says, this former life, though it was good, though I lived moral, look, I have this amazing track record. I consider it rubbish, filthy rags compared to knowing Jesus Christ. And out of the overflow of that trusting relationship, the Holy Spirit cultivated massive amounts of courage in his life. And he was able to go and preach and lead, and love in ways that I can't even fathom. I had an experience earlier this summer, uh, I was in a setting, and uh, there was this uh, kind of conversation that unfolded, and all of a sudden, I, I, I had this, this thing welling up inside me that I, that I wanted to speak up and speak out against, and... What I was observing earlier this summer was that there was, the best way to describe it is that it was racism. And it was the worst kind of racism. It was racism that didn't think it was racism. And I, and I wanted to speak out against it. And what did I say? Nothing. And earlier the summer when I left that that setting, I actually caught up later on with a number of others who were there in that same place. And every single one of us said, I can't believe that we didn't say anything. I lacked the courage to be an ambassador for Christ, to speak the truth in love, to be a witness to the gospel. Perhaps, as I'm self-reflecting, perhaps because I haven't yet fully put enough trust in Jesus. Yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. Yes, I'm a pastor. Yes, I've been following Him for, what, 19 years. But what was I trusting in that moment? Was I trusting somebody else to say something? Was I putting more trust and not accusing somebody of something I don't know what it was but I lacked courage and so what I've had to do since then is I've had to repent and basically what that means is I've had to turn and I've had to say to God God that's not who I want to be that's not who you died for me to be I want more and it's not about drumming up courage on our own Paul says, look, the more you entrust your entire life, every thought, every word, every action, you wake up and you cultivate that relationship, out of the overflow of that, watch the courage that will pour out. You see, Paul, he ate and he drank and he lived. Jesus, it was Christ in him, the hope of glory. It wasn't just his personality, it was the Holy Spirit in him. And often I, I say, well, I'm, you know, I'm just not that type of person. I'm a slow processor. I'll come back after the fact, and I'll do, it, I'll do it privately. And I rationalize it away. When I really believe that God is calling me and calling all of us to be courageous people in those moments. And the only way we can do this is if we first put our entire trust in God. And that's not a one-time thing. It is a minute-by-minute, hour-by-hour, day-by-day, lifetime of cultivating that relationship with Jesus Christ. Think about where you find yourself, in your workplace, with your family, with your friends. You look back on the last week, you look back on the last month. Could it be that there was a moment that you lacked courage? That you didn't intervene? That you didn't say, I'm sorry, first? That you didn't pick up the phone to seek reconciliation? The world in which you inhabit needs your courage. But more than that, it needs Christ's courage in and through you. Trust that. Take the leap of faith. But you won't know what that leap is until you cultivate that relationship by opening up God's Word, spending time in prayer, getting in community, talking about it during, before, and after the fact. You see, Paul was massive encouraged because he had massive amounts of trust. Listen to these verses that he shares. He says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purposes. That's a massive amount of trust. He said all things work together for good for those who love God. It might not seem like it at first. Yeah, you might lose your job. Yeah, that relationship might end. Yes, the cancer might get worse. And yet in God's eternal long view, God is going to work all things together for good, so trust Him. He goes on to write, listen to this, Philippians 4, 6, he writes this while he was in jail. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known To God. My wife and I got to experience this, to practice this Friday evening. My little two year old Barrett falls after slamming his foot in the bottom of a play structure, and he goes to get up and he falls down again. He goes to get up, falls down again. And for the rest of the evening and Saturday morning, he basically is crawling. He keeps on saying, It hurt, it hurt, it hurt. Anxiety floods us. Why? Perhaps because my son, Judah, the seven year old, he's been in the ER four times. He's hooked himself with a fishing hook in the nose. Uh, He jumped out of his crib at the age of two, broke his arm. He fell falling, you know, the first time wearing flip-flops, broke his foot. He fell off a play structure. So we know what it's like to go through a cast in the middle of summer going back to school and we're like, no! And yet we saw in our couples group the power of prayer that can heal. Some of you know the story. I'm going to put you on the spot again, Viola. This is not going to get... uh, old, but the viola's son, Penn, on our campus early in the year, broke his arm. And you know what it's like to see a broken arm. And if you were here in service that one day, I literally, I got in front, I'm going to keep telling this story because it's all for God's glory, but I literally, I got on my knees and I began to pray, and, and I'm like, why am, I, why am I on my knees? You've heard this before, but in case it's your first time, I'll share it for you for the first time. I'm like, why am I on my knees praying in my head? But I'm praying out loud, God, God, would you unbreak Penn's arm? I don't normally pray like that. And I'm looking back and I'm wondering if I had the courage to pray like that because perhaps over the last 19 years I've began to choose more and more to trust God and to take God at God's word. And so maybe in that moment I was courageous because it flowed out of the trust and it left us in awe because we heard stories that in urgent care all of a sudden Pen is fine, putting weight on it. They do the x-ray, and they're like, nothing's fine. Nothing, everything's fine. Nothing's broken. And we believe absolutely that Pen's arm was unbroken. And so because we've been talking about that as a couples group and how easy it is to forget some of these miracles, how quick it is to lose the awe and wonder of God, right? We keep talking about it. And so since it was fresh on our mind, I just said to my wife, text the small group. We could have texted him, we could have texted our family, but we've been talking about this. And so, we texted the group, nothing happens, right? Uh, Wake up the next morning, he's still, he's falling down, it hurts, it hurts, and we're thinking, oh my gosh, like no, like no, this is the worst timing. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, all of a sudden, he just gets up off the couch, he stops saying it hurts. I have this on video, like him falling down, I sent it to the couple's group. Go to the, my wife takes him to the doctor anyway. Now i just to be sure, right? Looks him over. She says everything's fine. And so Eric, says, my wife says to the two year old Barrett, God healed you. And of course the doctor says, no, I healed you. <laughs> my wife and I were overwhelmed. And I know so many people in a crowd this size would be like, "No, no, no, no!" You know, kids. It was, you know, something. I'm choosing to be in awe because I absolutely believe that God healed him. Now, now, here's what's amazing: the Apostle Paul says that God isn't like a a, a rabbit's foot. God is not like this uh, thing that if you get the hocus-pocus, you know, left, right, left, right, up, down, A, B, A, B, you know, that it's going to unlock 80s video games. You know what I'm talking about, right? (laughs) That it's going to unlock this thing. Listen to this amount of courage. His friends are saying, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. You're going to get killed. He trusts God so much. He feels led by the Holy Spirit to go to Jerusalem to preach the good news of the gospel. They're saying, don't go. They're going to kill you. And he says this, what are you doing, friends? Weeping and breaking my heart. For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord. Talk about trust. It's not about the circumstances. It's not about the healing. Because Paul says, one day we're all gonna be healed. Sometimes we get glimpses this side of eternity and we get to see the healing now. But ultimately, in God's presence, we're all gonna be healed. We're all gonna be transformed. We're all gonna be glorified for those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so, this trust in Paul's life led to massive courage, and he experienced God in a profound way, and it led to awe. And that's the second point. And it was awe that led to humility. So, there's this amazing moment in the book of Romans where after writing perhaps the thickest, massive, you know principles of theology, and he just stretches the lengths of the human language to describe the, the, the majesty of God and God's grace and justification and salvation, all these things. At the end of Romans 11, it's as if he, he puts down the pen or asks the scribe to put down the pen, and it's as if he just breaks out in worship. The more he studies God, the more mysterious God becomes. The closer he gets to Jesus, the more magnificent and almost indescribable Christ is. Listen to these words in Romans 11. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For from him and through him and to him are all things, to him be the glory forever. In the book of Ephesians, he says, and praise be to God who Does immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. In Colossians chapter 1, he describes Jesus as being the one who holds all things together by the power of his word. Paul was in awe, struck wonder, and it led to a confident humility. You see, some of us are in awe of ourselves and it leads to pride. Some of us are in awe of other people's greatness, and it leads to our own insecurities. Paul was in awe of the living God, and it actually led to a massively confident humility. It wasn't self-deprecating humility. Uh, It wasn't false humility. It was this sober realization that his former life not only was completely against God because he approved the killing of Christians, but his former life was all about what he did and his good works that kept him into a covenant relationship with God. And so he even wrote things like this. He says that I'm the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I used to persecute the church. In fact, to Ephesians, he said Ephesians 3.8, he says… I'm the least of all the saints. And yet he had this confident humility. He says, I can do all things. That's confident. But it's through Christ who strengthens me. I had this doctoral advisor, Leonard Sweet. He looks like Gandalf. Some of you know this story. Uh, at the end of my doctoral program, it's like six, six, long while booming voice, you know. Uh, he had us over to his home on Orcas Island off the coast of Washington. We spent a week in his home, wrapping up our doctoral program. We're sitting in his family room, and he's got this uh, quirky sense of everything in his life. He wants it to connect to some story. And it's true for everything that he has in his house. And as we're sitting in the family room, living room area, he, he's, he points to the doorway that leads into his study. And the doorway was actually a doorway that used to be on an ancient ship from, like, the 1800s, this weird, massive, like, steel door. And this door was shorter than him, and yet because of the slope uh, of the grade of the home built on, it actually had to be built on, like, a pretty significant step up to get through that doorway. And so as he's sitting there in the living room, he begins to tell us how, in order for him to enter into the place where he has his greatest influence, he's written over 100 books, thousands of sermons, an overwhelming amount of articles in his long career. He says, in order for me to get into that place of influence, I have to do two things at the same time. On one hand, as I open the door, I've got to step up, or else I'm going to trip over, you know, the threshold. And at the same time that I step up, I've got to bow down or else I'm going to hit my head on the top. On one hand, I've got to step up. I've got to bring my strengths, my skills, my experience, what I've learned. And if I don't bring the fullness of who I am to that moment, that's not giving God glory. But at the same time that I step up, I've got to do so in a humble way because I realize that all the gifts, all the experience, all the skills, all the opportunities that I've ever had in my life are a gift from God. I can do all things for Christ, but it's through He that strengthens me. When you think about this week coming up, you've got to step up in humility. You've got to step into this life that God has called you into as a parent, as a roommate, as a cameraman. As a CEO, in every sphere that you find yourself in, there's this opportunity to step up and to be all in awe of the fact that the same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave, Paul tells us, now dwells in you. You have the fullness of the kingdom of God dwelling in you. Ephesians 2.10 says that you are God's masterpiece. So step up. In humility, it's to Christ and His glory that these things have been given to you. How different would it be to step into every scenario of your life with confident humility that you'd be the first to say, you know what? You're right, I'm wrong. How refreshing would that be? How amazing would it be to be so humble that you could give credit where credit is due rather than whoring for yourself? That's not going to happen by just making yourself humble. Be in awe, not of yourself or of others, but the living God who comes to you and says, I want to dwell in you. So the Apostle Paul pursued a trust in God that led to massive amounts of courage. He focused his awe and wonder on God. He alone was worthy of our worship. And a result of that, he had this confident humility. And then finally, he focused his love in such a way that it produced massive amounts of endurance in his life. You see, endurance is something that seems to, year after year, become less of a a thing. Right now, the average youth pastor makes it 18 months, 18 months. I've seen different statistics, but the average length of a senior pastor is three years. But it's not just true in the church. There are actually all these studies that are coming out. The average length of marriages is shrinking. The average length of a CEO being a CEO is shrinking. The average length of firefighters and teachers and hospital workers, on and on and on, it, it's, it's, it's shrinking. It's shrinking. In many ways, especially in the West, we've become a culture that lacks endurance. And Paul had massive amounts of endurance. He was arrested. He was beaten. He was shipwrecked. He had lawsuits leveled against him. He had influential leaders ignore him. He was bitten by a viper on the first day of a mission trip, and he pursued. He endured. He suffered. At the end of his life, he says, I have fought the fight. I'm finishing the race. He had massive amounts of endurance because he didn't love success, he didn't love comfort, he didn't love his reputation. He loved a God that loved him first. And so because of that, he was an amateur leader, not a professional leader, and those are the best kind. You see, a professional leader, if in their heart they're a professional leader, they do it for the glory, They do it to avoid pain and suffering. They do it for the perks. Again, this is not about pain. It's in the heart. But amateur, the root word in the Latin, I don't know Latin, but I understand. The root word for amateur is love. And The true sense of the world isn't a hack. It's somebody who does it for the love of it. He led out of the love of it. He followed Jesus out of love for Jesus. He served because he loved Jesus. He was willing to endure all those things simply out of love. Some of his own words. First, he received that love that God gave him, Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his love to us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He fell in love with the one who loved him in his worst moments. He was captivated by this fact that even he could be loved. So then out of the overflow of that, he was one of the most loving people. He constantly writes about his affection for people, his love for people, his adoration for people. He's constantly praying for people, encouraging people. Listen to this prayer in Ephesians 13. He says, I pray that according to Ephesians 3, it doesn't go that long, Ephesians 3, 16 through 19, I pray that according to the riches of God's glory, that God may grant you be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. It's said at almost every wedding love is patient, love is kind. We skip over perhaps the power of that. He says that if I have faith and I don't have love, I'm nothing. If I speak prophetic words without love, I'm like a, a clanging gong. Love is the foundation through which all things flow. It's between faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. It was this loving relationship that he had with Jesus Christ that allowed him to endure massive things. As a pastor, Uh, Church of the Highlands, Chris Hodges, he says this, that even though he was kidnapped, beaten, threatened, arrested many times, accused, interrogated, ridiculed, shipwrecked, here's the quote, that Paul was focusing on what was happening in him, not to him, and so therefore we can be sure that when something is happening to us, God is actually doing something in us, something that will actually shape us for all of eternity. And therefore, Paul says, I've learned the secret of being content in all circumstances. That's how I can endure these things. Because Christ is transforming me. 2 Corinthians 3.18, more and more through the power of the Spirit into the image of Christ. Our lives have been transformed by Jesus. And yet Paul, perhaps, was most responsible, again, through the Spirit... Of turning that into a movement that went to the ends of the earth. It was Paul's words in Romans 10, 9, and 10 that really opened up my eyes to who Jesus was when I was a college student. And he had massive amounts of courage, humility, endurance because he cultivated trust in God. He cultivated awe and wonder of God. And he cultivated this loving relationship. And out of the overflow of that, we are here today. So my prayer for you is that you would choose this week, before your head hits the pillow tonight, to take one step in trusting God. Open up God's Word. Find something to trust. You can't trust Him if you don't know who He is and what He says. So if you open up God's Word and you see the promises of Scripture, how He promises not to leave you nor forsake you, that's that's where you learn what it is to trust in the first place. Open up God's Word and see how all of creation is spoken to existence by God. If you want to be filled with awe and wonder, just step outside in one of the best places to live on the planet and see how all of this reflects God's glory. Be filled with awe and wonder this week, looking in the eyes of somebody else who was made in the image of God, all the intricacies of the human body, because God spoke it, crafted it into existence. Look at Jesus who loves you, who died for you, who endured the cross for the joy set before him, and that was you. So my prayer is that I would grow in that trust, the courage would come out, that I would grow in that awe, humility would come out, that I would grow in that love, and endurance would come out. That's my prayer for you today as well. Let's pray. Loving God, we are thankful for this man, Paul, but even more than that, Jesus, we're thankful for you. That you would choose to show up on a road to Damascus, that you would reveal yourself to somebody who had been approving of the killing of Christians, your own. That you love somebody who actually did something so horrific that they killed your followers. And that love transformed his life and it had ripple effects throughout history and around the globe. So, God, I pray first and foremost that if anybody here today feels that they are unworthy or unqualified or undeserving of that love, that they would hear a louder voice, your voice, saying, I am here. You are loved. You are mine. And that they would choose that love that you give them. God, grow in us these leadership qualities through the power of your spirit, the spirit that rose Jesus from the grave. And may we respond and worship right now. It's in your name we pray and we say together, amen.